there's something I want to tell you. Oh, Rapunzel, you know I hate leaving you after a fight, especially when I've done absolutely nothing wrong. Now I'm the king of the swingers, oh, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. Taxes. Taxes. Beautiful, lovely taxes. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, I feel like we kind of have found a new comfort zone on this podcast. It's it's yeah. the corny, cringy Disney weirdness. And I feel like we've we've kind of been living there a lot lately in 2021. So uh, I'm kind of happy to be getting back into some classic Disney stuff for, for this episode here. Yeah, me too. Although I think there might be some moments of cringe within sure. this episode, to sure. be honest. Um, <laughs> we're, we're moving... Out of this this weird DCA 1.0 uh, weirdest costumes, and we're heading into uh, something we're gonna be talking about Disney villains. We haven't touched them a whole lot, uh, I think, since our second ever episode when we did maybe best villain. I think was the yeah, bracket. yeah. Uh, so we haven't talked a whole lot about villains since then. Uh, but we're gonna have a little bit of a different conversation this time around. We're talking the most relatable. Disney villain. And now how I'm going to define that is that nobody on this podcast justifies the actions of any of these villains uh, in these movies. We're, t- we're talking only the animated movies, not the live action, not any of the other stuff. And we do not justify uh, what they've done. But we might put a little twist on it to try and explain why that might be a relatable choice. Uh, and to help us figure that out and navigate those muddy waters are our favorite dynamic duo it is eric and Alyssa. welcome back thank you so much we are surprised we were invited back but <laughs> very excited to be here nonetheless yeah what's up everybody? you know what did it last time i think was eric's powerpoint i think that's why <laughs> that's why we were like okay, the data yeah the data maybe there's going to be some sort of uh, a brand trust score for jafar <laughs> That's going to explain why he's the most relatable. Like, I don't know. Do you do you guys have a favorite villain just in general? It doesn't have to be most relatable, but like favorite villain on screen uh, in the Disney world. Mm. Can they be on the bracket? Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. I think Hades. I think Hades was an easy choice for us. We saw the bracket immediately felt community with Hades. So it should be interesting. We, we um, will die on that hill. Um, for all the <laughs> listeners, we'll die on, on Hades Hill. So you know, it's funny because I thought the same thing, and then as I was doing some research, I said, mm. "I did a little kombucha girl." I was like, <laughs> no, 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 maybe. So I'm really excited. Thank you guys for being here. It's gonna be awesome. And as we do, before we hop into every bracket, we gotta talk a little spoonful of sugar, Chris. What are you drinking this week? So apparently my thing is leaving old beers in my parents' refrigerator. (laughs) So uh, we're recording this at the end of May and I have a beer that I drank at Christmas time and there were some like spares still in the refrigerator. So I found it um, and it's called (laughs) the Prairie Artisan Ales Rainbow Sherbet. And it's a sour ale with rainbow sherbet flavors. 
Okay. And uh, I'm calling this the King Candy because it tastes like candy. And and like this is really the first sour I've tried in a while where I'm like, you know what? I I'm th- I think I'm okay if they could have done a little less with this one. Like this <laughs> this this is getting a little bit too close to cider territory for me. Okay. Uh, it's fine. I'll drink it. It does do be tasting like candy. Um, so yeah. Uh, Kyle, what about you? I'm a little disappointed that you haven't found the best beer you've ever drinking for a third straight nope. episode. Couldn't make know? it three for three. <laughs> well, I'm drinking a cocktail that I got from a local restaurant here. It's one of those takeaway cocktails that I actually got last weekend. Uh, could only drink half of it because it's a lot. And now I, I was like, you know what? I could save it for my my spoonful. So I did just that. It's called the Jack Satan, which is really aggressive of a name <laughs> for this drink because it's like a purple <laughs> drink. Um, but it has tequila, hibiscus, infierno, tincture, which we'll get back to that. And then fresh squeezed <laughs> lime juice. Okay. Mm, tincture. Yummy. I was going to say tincture is how I take my CBD, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I was like, what? T- tincture of hot? Like what it what what does that even mean? So I looked up tincture. It's medicine by made by dissolving drug and alcohol. And I was like, okay, probably not that. Tincture cocktail. And yeah, it's the little it's the little dropper boys. But then that doesn't explain what infierno tincture is. So I looked it up, and when you look it up, it says the first Google result is seven spicy cocktails that prove it's hotter in the East Bay. Now, I live in the East Bay. <laughs> the next everything else is like Bay Area cocktails. So I'm like, is wow. this a an ingredient that we only use here in the Bay? I don't understand why this is happening. Basically, it's just like a, a few drops of spicy. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, which is, I just, it boggled my mind. I was going insane trying to figure out what the hell a tincture is and what's that ingredient. Um, anyways, it tastes like a spicy cocktail, if you're wondering, and it's delicious. And I highly recommend if you're in the Bay Area, you go to Comal next door. Great burritos, great cocktails. Listen, Eric, what do you guys got? Uh, well, we just concluded a hour and a half stuck in traffic uh, trip to Hollister just now where I was drinking mm. yerba mate, but then midway through got a little car sick. So now I'm just oh, drinking no. a little bit of water. <laughs> oh, That's good. No. Yeah, because caffeine was a little too much, but I do love um, yerba mate. Yeah, we are. Um, if, if folks are fans of yerba mate on the back, there is a caffeine meter and it ranks it. I don't know what the lower bound is. The higher bound is enlightenment. Um, so we're enlightened off Revelberry. Um, elevated, that's that's yeah. for the real Yerba heads out there. Guayaquil. Oh yeah. Yerba, if you're listening to us, send that sponsorship our way. We got you. We got you. For every mouse madness bracket needs a demographic to be surveyed to determine our field of 16. We've been uh, exploring the parks uh, lately, you know, getting in there and getting some, some good parks demos since Disneyland has been open, but we took it back online. Because we had some really fun Avengers Campus news the last yep. week, so we had tons to work with. We went with folks upset about the web slinger accessories. <laughs> now, I don't know about y'all, but I'm into it. I'm very, very into it. Like the day yeah. I saw those pictures, I had a dream I bought the Iron Man one. I'm like, <laughs> what if I just make this dream a prophecy and make it come true? Because I kind of want to do that. 
So for those who are listening are like, what are you even talking about? There's a, a ride, a web slinger ride at Avengers Campus in California Adventure that's opening up that's very similar to the kind of interactive attraction that Midway Mania, Toy Story Midway Mania is, where you're kind of surrounded by screens and you're shooting things and the, apparently you're going to be swinging around with Spider-Man and you're going to be shooting webs from your hands and stuff. Um, there's like the stock one that you get onto this thing and apparently it tracks your hands. I don't know. I haven't read a whole lot into it because I'm going to wait to see. Um, but apparently you can buy these hands for like 35 to 40 bucks that then unlock a certain level of power that you can have within the ride. So you can unlock certain things. You can do different stuff. You're Iron Man. You could be like shooting flames instead of webs, like just ruining the experience for all the little kids (laughs) in in the car with you shooting just webs. Um, but uh, people were were upset about it because it's a an additional buy that if you you know maybe you can't afford to spend that for the entire family like it's a bummer and and you know it kind of outcasts the people that can't afford that. But then there's also the like we didn't hear this about the uh, Harry Potter world wands that like aren't yeah. necessary for the the environment but enhance the the experience like. Disney fans online love to complain and we love to find them. And so they were able to find uh, 16 villains that they found relatable, which because these people online are villains. These are villains (laughs) of Diz Twitter and they should be ashamed of themselves. But a few did not make it. So, Chris, what are a few villains that you feel like could have possibly made this bracket of 16 but didn't? Well, for me, the big name that I did not see on here that was noticeable is Scar. And he was the winner of our best Disney villain bracket. He's a villain a lot of people have at the front of their mind when they hear villains. So I I thought of that. (laughs) Like when I heard this topic, I was like, okay, Scar's going to be in this conversation somewhere. He's not. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, you know what? I, I kind of understand why. He sure. he is a little bit extreme in the way he goes about <laughs> his business and like he does murder his own brother or at least like set it up that way. So uh, I understand. Uh, another one that's like a little bit less well known, but it's someone we talk about a lot on this podcast is <laughs> Brom Bones, <laughs> our our turn boy uh, from Ichabod Crane's <laughs> Sleepy Hollow. Uh, Brom Bones out here just breaking barrels of ale open and chugging it and uh, getting animals drunk and just being a, <laughs> being a good time at a holiday party, you know, telling sure. some scary stories, freaking out some Weenie Hut juniors like Ichabod. Um, I, I see Brom as a pretty relatable villain. Kyle, what about you? Uh, obviously, if we're talking villains, I have to bring up Cruella DeVille, who is uh, not on this bracket. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday the 27th tonight Cruella comes out I'm seeing it tomorrow it's my first time being back in a theater I'm going by myself gonna watch Cruella on the big screen very excited I understand why Cruella didn't make this bracket like she kills puppies so can't (laughs) say that's super relatable uh to to most folks and I agree but she's a woman of fashion she has some road rage like there's some relatable qualities that of Cruella that could have snuck her in, especially when we've got folks chopping heads on this bracket. Uh, and my second one is the evil queen from Snow White. Another one that is like 
you know, it's hard to say because she turns herself into a witch at the end. Don't know how relatable that entire sequence is. Uh, she tries to get her kid killed uh, and and succeeds at the end, basically. Um, thank God for that kiss. Am I right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I can. She's just an iconic, I think, villain. And I kind of expected to see her on this, but she didn't quite make it. Listen, Eric, are there any villains that we haven't brought up? Uh, and that aren't on the bracket that you feel like maybe could have snuck their way? Uh, the only one that comes to mind is Sean Yu from Mulan. Mm. Oh, um, yeah, that's another but, one. But he's also just an incredible, murderous human being. So. <laughs> yeah, I right. think he commits genocide, right? <laughs> yeah. But he yeah. also loves animals, so... <laughs> he does have a cool horse, I must say. <laughs> yeah? He did get buried by snow, and like it, a lot of his exacted revenge is, is, to, is built in honor, but... Um, and he's, he, he's an he, angry guy. He's he Genghis Khan's his army. He's, <laughs> right. he's 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 responsible for 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 pillaging <laughs> all of yeah. Asia. Oh yes, 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 yes. Not relatable qualities. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I've ever been there. <laughs> all right, everybody, it is time. Let's announce these sixteen relatable villains in order from one to sixteen. Cue that dramatic music. Chris, take us away. Skip the drama, because the number one seed is Mother Gothel from Tangled. <laughs> Throwing a tantrum at the number two seed is Hades. <laughs> TFTI, thanks for the invite. The number three seed is Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty. She saw Sisu by the seashore. At the number four seed, it's Namari from Raya and the Last Dragon. Great I'm job. I'm sweaty. I'm sweaty. That was good. <laughs> a job loss can make someone do desperate things. Falling into the number five spot is Yzma from Emperor's New Groove. Stepping into the number six spot with his tail on fire is Shere Khan from The Jungle Book. Sometimes you just want to be left alone. Swashbuckling his way to the seventh spot is Captain Hook. Firing his way into the 8th seed is Clayton from Tarzan. Being yourself is easier said than done. Glitching his way to the 9th spot is King Candy, aka Turbo from Wreck-It Ralph. Wishing his way to the 10th spot is Jafar from Aladdin. Dudes before voods, hustling his way <laughs> to the 11th seed is Dr. Facilier from Princess and the Frog. Singing and transforming at the number 12 spot is Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Worst roommate ever. Coming in at number 13 is Lady Tremaine. <laughs> Sobbing and whining his way at the number 14 spot is Prince John from Robin Hood. Every day is arm day for the number 15 seed from Beauty and the Beast. It's Gaston. And chopping heads off at the 16 seed is the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland. Usually when we get done uh, talking about or introducing these 16 seeds, I usually ask our guests, do you see any favorites on this bracket? Do you expect? It kind of seemed like you love you some Hades. I think, I think we can establish that. But were there any surprises that you're like, I don't know if the seeding makes sense. I don't know if this person should be on this bracket. We were concerned about Mother Gothel as being the number one seed. I just, 
I I love a good villain, and and yeah. I and I know we can't relate to the qualities or principles of any of these their antagonists for that reason. Mother Gothel should not be a one seed. Captain Hook should be a one seed. <laughs> oh, whoa. okay. You had, Sorry, you had, you had me in the first half. <laughs> not gonna lie. <laughs> well, already I can say Isma versus Ursula is gonna be a tough one. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll just have to see where that takes us. All right, so let's start things off with that number one seed. It's Mother Gothel versus number 16, Queen of Hearts. So, yeah, I mean, Eric, I'm, I'm with you. That the number one Mother Gothel seems pretty heavy. So I had to do some work to, like, look into this and be like, okay, what, what do we have to work with here? Because when I think of Mother Gothel, my immediate, like, association is with her being the biggest gaslighter in all of <laughs> Disney history, like, ever. I mean, she yes. is the yes. queen of like mental manipulation and forcing someone to believe that something that's false is true, right? right. So right. we see that when towards the end, when Mother Gothel rescues Rapunzel, or it could come towards the middle, I can't remember. Rapunzel's like, how did you find me? And Mother Gothel goes, I just listened for the sound of complete and utter betrayal and followed that. <laughs> or she goes, uh, I hate leaving after a fight especially when i've done absolutely nothing wrong <laughs> yeah. or or at towards the beginning they're kind of like bickering and she goes oh great now i'm the bad guy this yeah. is just like classic gaslighter tactics right making you the aggressor seem like the villain to whoever you're trying to manipulate or mentally abuse so don't like that like that makes her extremely not relatable um but here are some things that do make her relatable First, just wanting to stay young, you know, like that's an experience I think a lot of people have wanting to cling to their youth, especially yep. people who might be a little bit vain about the way that they look. Uh, they might have trouble looking in the mirror and seeing themselves getting a little bit older, different looking. <laughs> yeah. She she also is quite pessimistic about the world. And, and she she does a few bars in uh, Mother Knows Best about like all of the scary things that are out there. Right. I don't know that she truly believes that those things are scary because she herself is one of those things. Right. So I, I kind of see that whole song as like a gaslighter's anthem. Yes, yes. That's not her fears at all. She, she's not afraid of the world. She's proven that. Right, but she does come out like towards the end and she lets her guard down a little bit when she gets Rapunzel back and Rapunzel's really upset about the betrayal of Flynn or whatever. And yep. very like straightforward, honest, Mother Gothel says, the world is cruel. It finds even the slightest ray of sunshine and it destroys it. And I mean, that, I believe that is what she's afraid of, right? Mm. So I kind of see her as like projecting maybe onto Rapunzel. Like she used to be that innocent, naive, like fun loving person. And yeah, it has kind of like that. There's a wall that's been built up over time. Yeah. Smaller things, she finds mumbling uh, very annoying. <laughs> she has a line about that. She's like, blah, 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 blah. It's very annoying. I'm just teasing. You're adorable. I love you so much. Um, also, uh, we get that moment with Shorty when, when Shorty rolls out of the bar super drunk and Mother Gothel like, pulls a knife on him. So she has no patience for drunk people, which I can agree with that, especially yeah. Letcher is drunk old guys. Right. 
Uh, one th- so so when I'm like looking at all of these villains, I'm writing down things I definitely relate to, definitely don't relate to, and then things that like maybe I don't personally relate to, but I could see other people relating to, or just like things that are generally very realistic about the character. And for one of those for me for Mother Gothel is just the way that she kind of shows some real tough love towards Rapunzel. Like she calls her gullible, naive, positively grubby. Plus I believe getting kind of chubby. Like (laughs) things that like, you know, someone's mom may have said to them at some point in their lives. Uh, Again, doesn't make it relatable to me, but makes her feel very human. So she's going up against the queen of hearts in, in Alice in Wonderland who, who, when I saw her, I was like, there's no way I can develop any type of argument for Queen of Hearts being relatable. She's a total lunatic. But breaking down the scenes, like very small, I'm like, you know what? There's some, there's some good stuff here. Yes. For example, she loves positive reinforcement. Like that's just like a, that's just like an essential part of her being. Like when people applaud, she like bats her eyelashes and she just loves it. Mm-hmm. And and I think the the fact that she loves it so much has kind of driven her to that tyranny. Like it's just just become like total total uh, ego. She um she's an athlete. Yeah, <laughs> she lo- loves loves some sports. She she loves sports. She's out she here playing croquet. She's not very good at it, but you know what? You don't have to be good to be considered an athlete. You just have to no. go out there, hit the court, go hard in the paint, and and right. you know, Queen of Hearts. She she do do that. Yep. Yep. Um, so, so like the big thing for me with, uh, the queen of hearts that makes her super unrelatable, obviously just like the, the tyranny and wanting to like murder people who who do Mm -hmm. her wrong, but her leadership structure is like not healthy. And, and before we even meet the queen of hearts, we meet the cards who are painting the roses red. Right. And, uh, there's that, the one that's like Scottish. She's like, we painted the roses by mistake we paint the white or whatever it is yeah, yeah, yeah. and so on one hand i'm like okay she she holds her employees accountable like you yeah. know but like they shouldn't be driven by fear you know like we <laughs> we we messed up so we're gonna die it should be like you know what we messed up like we know we will have some forgiveness uh you know building a, a positive relationship between your the employer and employee is all about that trust to like sure. uh you know let people make mistakes uh, give them a little safety net. Make them be afraid to take chances. Right. What's interesting is 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 this whole trial of Alice. The white rabbit reads like what she's guilty of, and the, the word for word teasing, tormenting, and otherwise annoying the Queen of Hearts. <laughs> like this is like this is the crime, and like those are crimes that like they have affected me before, and like I have gotten mad at people for those for those very <laughs> things. You know, I, I haven't wanted to chop someone's head off, but uh, sure. I get I get how those things can make someone lose their temper a bit. Uh, when all is said and done, like I have the upset here. I just uh, I, I think Mother Gothel has some really small things that make her relatable. But I think some of the bigger character qualities of the Queen of Hearts make her slightly more relatable. Yeah. I'm I'm going to agree with you with the 16-1 upset. Uh, there's some stretch arguments I can make for Mother Gothel that is immediately uh, undermining the entire intention of the movie. And one is that she just doesn't want her little girl to grow up. <laughs> and yep. I think there's a lot of parents out there that can relate to 
releasing their child into the world and, and being afraid of the dangers of it. She's obviously not. But if you wanted to like forget the narrative of the entire movie and pick it apart like that, then sure. Queen of Hearts, what's so relatable about her is like, besides like and and disregarding the chopping of heads, her anger comes from the incompetence of others. And like as a leader or as a you know a human in the world you're at the grocery store and somebody like is going the wrong way or is standing in the middle of the aisle you want to you want to make some heads roll you know and i and i understand that maybe not not literally i wouldn't be out there with an axe in the middle of the grocery store but i'm gonna be mad too if i given my my folks one job which is to paint these roses red and it and if they can't just do that then yeah, I'm going to be upset. It's really hard to relate to the the conniving and the manipulation that she presents throughout the film. And there's a ton, like almost every villain on this bracket has some sort of manipulation, which is why when Eric said, put Captain Hook up there, I was like, well, Captain Hook kind of does the same thing and like manipulates Tinkerbell Absolutely. to locate the the hideout and that kind of stuff. So like, there's a ton of it on this bracket, but uh, the the relatability factor with uh, the incompetent workers and just the people around her, I consider myself an amateur athlete and would also need cheating in order to <laughs> achieve any sort of competition. So I relate with uh, Queen of Hearts. Eric and Alyssa, you had an awful time with the number one seed here. Uh, are you happy to see that the queen has overthrown Mother Gothel? Yeah, we definitely think that is the the better option here, considering all of the gaslighting on the other side. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the next matchup. It is the number eight Clayton from Tarzan versus the number nine King Candy slash Turbo from Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, it, it's interesting with King Candy because we're led to believe that he's either just like a side character or a, a part-time role in this movie, and it turns out that he's the main villain, right? So. Yeah. Going back and, and looking at the things that he's done, he's he's kind of like the showrunner of Sugar Rush. He's he's running these races and he's making sure that things are quote unquote fair. And it's not until, you know, that that last sequence in the movie in which that villainy really comes out where he's actually the virus that is keeping Vanellope out and he's going to do whatever it takes and has done whatever it takes to achieve that. So in that last race, he's driving like Cruella. He's trying to bump Vanellope off the road. He's trying to get rid of her so that he can win, so that he can keep the game intact. Because if Vanellope wins, then the the programming's all off and, and his jig is up. Um, but we find out that he's actually pretty good with computers, which is pretty <laughs> relatable to a lot of people, right? He's programmed this entire facade uh, to make the game work the way he wants it to work, like that technical skill uh, for somebody that, you know, has who one works in tech now, who is on a podcast in which a lot of tech <laughs> is involved, like pretty relatable quality to like figure it out and get it done on the technical side by yourself. I, I think that's fairly relatable. I also think it's fairly relatable that once you're comfortable in a position, you don't want that comfortability to leave. And yes. I think that he became very comfortable in his game after essentially stealing it. Uh, and he lived this life of, of luxury as this king. And he's defending it. So he's, you know, 
defending his place in the world. And I think that anyone who feels comfortable and safe in their own environment would do the same. The way he got comfortable is not great, but the actions that he felt he needed to take. Sure, I would also defend my uh, my comfortableness in this world. It's just unfortunate that there's not a whole lot besides his manipulation, right? We're back to the manipulation. He manipulated the entire world. Um, so that's a little difficult. And I can't really relate to trying to kill kids and, <laughs> and also be in a video game. I don't really relate to being in a video game world. Clayton. Now, I forgot about Clayton, to be honest, right? When I think of Tarzan, I think of Phil Collins. That's basically <laughs> all I think about. I don't think about the characters very much. I think about the music. It's a very weird story because it almost seems to end in the middle when they are about to all go off together uh, because they didn't find the gorillas. And Tarzan's like, I'm going to come too and I'm going to learn English and live with Jane. <laughs> and then they end up getting captured on the boat. And then there's the second half of the movie. And you can kind of tell from the beginning that Clayton's the big brute bad guy he's not on the trip to to study gorillas he's out there to hunt them that's why he has the gun for protection sure but uh he's he's out there to kill him uh if i'm in the jungle i would hope somebody would have a gun with them uh in in my party i wouldn't be the one with the gun i'm (laughs) afraid of them quite honestly uh so i wouldn't be carrying it so that's not relatable but what's relatable about clayton is that he's the one on this journey that's willing to carry that gun and willing to be that person. I think that is relatable to some people. There are some people that feel comfortable in that position and I uh, more power to them. It's def it's definitely not me. He gets mad when uh his things are broken. His gun gets <laughs> broken and he gets really angry. I'd get mad if my gun broke. I'd get mad if anything of mine would break. Uh it's not a good feeling to have something that you really like or rely on be broken. I get it. The way it happened wasn't the way I would want it to happen. But hey, also, he's got a bunch of homies that he runs with, right? He's got the crew. We all have crews. We all have cliques. <laughs> There's a lot of people on this bracket that also do that. And that's relatable. Like, I got I got homies that I run with. We'd probably go to the jungle together. Maybe not to hunt, but we'd go on vacation. We'd take trips. Clayton, Jane, the old guy. That's his <laughs> clique. They go on vacations. It's, he has it's great. So he, he has some other slimy little dudes that are always just like carrying around boxes. I think one <laughs> has a mullet or something. <laughs> if I had enough money, then I would have an entourage. That's relatable, uh, I guess. Not for me personally, but I can understand somebody relating to that life of luxury. I've been on a cruise before. Clayton's definitely been on a cruise before. That's relatable. <laughs> uh, I've also seen animals in cages at zoos Clayton put them in them sometimes so uh yeah that's kind of relatable too so in this this eight to nine matchup the most like relatable which I don't know that I've given really many good points for either of these two and that's because these are probably the two movies that I've seen the absolute least (laughs) uh but my my pick is probably Clayton to be honest uh because I can't get through uh turbo being able to control his world and and even defending his place meaning means burning it down to defend it i don't know that i necessarily relate to that kind of uh resort to to violence in that way Uh, i think if it was like a a, for the greater cause and more people were behind me and and trying to execute that plan then sure but when it's obviously me just being like the dictator up top 
trying to keep me and me only safe. I don't know that I necessarily relate to that, um, even though that's what I'm supposed to be trying to do. Clayton moves on for me, number eight seed. I, I agree that King Candy's methods when he's in power are not super relatable. But when I think about him, I more look at like the why, like what sure. drove him to be this way. Um, his backstory is that he was the star driver in this turbo video game and then people stopped playing it. And so he went and tried to invade some other video games and then they unplugged all of those games. So he decided to like take over this game and create a disguise for himself and all that. So he really just uh, has the fear of letting go, right? Yeah, the, the fear of like fading from the spotlight. And, and I get that totally. There's a ton uh, he, of people and, that and, need to be the main character. Everybody right. needs to be main character. And, and his, his strategy is fake it till you make it. Like, I'm just hey. going to pretend to be this guy until I am this guy. Yeah. And <clears throat> I do that sometimes, like uh, not so grand of a scale, but like, you know, I've been like, oh yeah, I, I totally know how to use PowerPoint. Definitely. <laughs> and then like by then, you know, not even Excel, you go straight <laughs> to PowerPoint. Right. Like, ah, those charts got them. Can use every feature of Excel, but that PowerPoint baby, wow. so, gets me every time. Yeah. So I get it. I get it. Um, I do want to talk about his sense of humor as well. I, I find his sense of humor fun. Um, I'm not, I don't have a dry sense of humor. I don't have a sarcastic sense of humor. I rely on like body humor, like which we have <laughs> talked about on this podcast before. And uh, one of my favorite King Candy quotes is, well, milk my duds. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, that is something I would say. Um <laughs> So, so I, I kind of like his energy when he's happy, but he also can be really grumpy as well. Uh, King Candy, he doesn't really have like a squad like Clayton has, but he does have a best friend. And yeah. that best friend is Sour Bill, which is a character I don't think we've ever talked about on this show. And I want to make a sour beer called the Sour Bill Ale. Oh, uh, there you go. Wow. Um, you, and yeah. it has just his little like sad round green face on it. <laughs> Because uh, I think I think Ralph like licks Sour Bill at one point in that movie, so like it it totally works. Like Disney beer, Disney beers yeah. like need to happen. Yeah, I was watching Wreck It Ralph and thinking about King Candy, and then just all of a sudden it got in my head that this movie is about immigration because <laughs> King Candy is like Wreck It Ralph, like you do not belong in our game, like you cannot stay here, like you are not welcome here, you must leave, yeah. you are a security threat. Yeah. And it just like that one thing like switched in my head and I couldn't like unswitch it. And so sure. like I got a really icky feeling thinking about King Candy being relatable for that reason. <laughs> Very strange association, but kind of makes sense. Um, Clayton. Yeah. The gun thing. I, I, I think I don't think you're like excusing the gun thing, but like I definitely... I don't like the gun thing. Like the fact that he loves his gun so much. Like I don't really see that it's relatable in any way. Yeah, uh, it's no, very, I, yeah. I think it's, it, I, uh, as I said, I'm afraid of them. Very afraid <laughs> of them. And I, it's more, so I relate to having a favorite thing that makes you feel safe, you know? Totally. Um, but for me, it's a cell phone to call for help. <laughs> <laughs> Clayton's very guerrilla focused and he's very obvious about it. Um, you know, like I like a villain that has some, that lives in a gray area and 
maybe you don't always know if they're good or bad or like what their intentions might be. And like Clayton, he's like the guy <laughs> in a Shakespeare play who's like whispering on the other side of the stage and like the other characters just pretend they can't hear it, but like they definitely can. Like that's Clayton. Um, like they meet Tarzan. He's like, the gorillas, Tarzan. The gorillas. And, and I'm like, dude, can't you tell he wants to like murder everyone? Come on. He's very, very aggressive. And I don't like that. Um, and like, they're not just gorillas. They're critically endangered gorillas. Like this is, yeah. this is bad. This is very bad. Um, the one thing I like about Clayton is that he thinks Jane's dad is kind of a nut. And like, yep. I, I think that too. Yep. Um, last episode, I felt very uncomfortable like kind of talking about some of the details of Jessica Rabbit's body because we were trying to like compare her to the the costume character in Park just just like a general like compare comparison. Um so I'm excited to po- talk about some some man bodies on <laughs> this episode and and I want to start with Clayton. Um Clayton has one of the most unrealistic male body attributes. Sure. In any Disney character ever, and an attribute that just doesn't exist in the real world, and that's that his forearms are the biggest part of his body. <laughs> like every single gym bro that is out there does not work out his forearms nearly <laughs> enough. Um, and so, I mean, like I'm guilty of it. Sure, like I'll go in there and like crank out three sets of bicep curls, and then like your forearms are just you know, hopefully they got worked out a little bit during that, you know. <laughs> And so Clayton's coming out here with like normal size bicep and then like forearms that are twice the size of his bicep. I'm like this, this ratio is way off unless he's out there like doing a little like wrist curls to just right. get these like juicy meaty forearms. Quasimodo's the only character that has like a similar like forearm game, but yeah. Quasimodo's like swinging from the edge of a church <laughs> holding on to like tiny ledges. Um, yeah. So I, like I get that. Yeah. So when all said and done, I think I'm going with King Candy um, just because I think we're a little bit more familiar with his motives. And I, I think those motives are relatable. Uh, so this tiebreak is going to our duo, Alyssa and Eric. All right. Well, I agree with King Candy, actually. And this is because, I mean, we're in the Silicon Valley. We we live in code and we just love that representation of seeing a hacker man, you know, win for once. Um, but we can also relate to maybe the need to pivot in your career. Like this guy's games kept getting canceled. I can relate to like, you know, losing your job and then having to like rebrand and like oh switch and go to a new job um, where you could be the best again. So I think his motives are definitely relatable because, you know, I always want to be the best at things and I'm good at rebranding. So that's awesome. King that's Candy awesome. also reprogrammed himself as the king of the game, which I think is amazing. That's what you're going to do if you, you have that control, right? I'm, I start a company. I'm going to be the CEO. I'm not going to be the coordinator, right? <laughs> I'm going to be the social media coordinator of my new company. <laughs> Can't wait. Dream job, baby. <laughs> um, all right. So let's let's hop down the, uh, the bracket here where we have... Number four, Namari versus number 13, Lady Tremaine. This is a great matchup. We have a very yeah. classic Disney villain in Lady Tremaine and the newest kid on the block for now in Namari. I'll start yeah. with the uh, the OG. We'll talk Lady Tremaine. So in my intro to Lady Tremaine, I was like, 
worst roommate ever and that's because lady tremaine does not want to do any chores at all <laughs> like yeah. she she same. just makes cinderella do it you know and like yeah same i don't want to do chores either no. i do them but like you know lady tremaine doesn't want any of that noise Mm-mm. it's um, for the kids to do Lady Tremaine owns like a a weird amount of animals and pets for someone who's so grumpy, you know. Like I, I like I get I get Lucifer the evil cat, but like why do you have this like derpy dog running around too? And I'm pretty sure there's a horse involved. Yeah, she, they live like on a country farm, right? So they have all kinds of things. There's chickens. Why? There's like, all. Why are they well, on a country farm? You know? Well, because she inherited it, right? Didn't Cinderella's dad go off on a trip and die and? She came in and took over the farm, and that's where we pick up. So it's not even her animals. <laughs> and if anything, at least she's taking care of the animals that she's inherited because she could have sold them off. <laughs> she could have neglected them. No. Cinderella, she sends Cinderella out there, feed those chickens. Feed that dog. Feed my cat. She's making sure those animals eat. We love I mean, to see it. I would I would have sold the farm immediately and got, <laughs> got like a little cool like townhouse like right by the castle. <laughs> Just saying. Close to the market, you know. Sure. Mm-hmm. Some the solid amenities. nightlife. Yeah, amenities. <laughs> yeah. There's probably like a bathtub there in that city. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so when I was living in my first apartment in New York, I lived with randos and I was afraid to leave my bedroom. Like they were <laughs> randoms, like they were strangers. I oh. I preferred to just like stay isolated kind of and like chill on my own i i worked like long long hours and a lot of those were working at home so like i kind of chose to isolate myself a lot but my bedroom was really small and like there was no furniture in it besides my bed so like my bed was my desk my dinner table the place that i slept the place that i lounged which is like not healthy but like when cinderella comes in at the beginning of the movie and lady tremaine's just like sitting in bed just like that's where she lives like she's a grandparent from Willy Wonka. Um, <laughs> that was me for a solid like eight months in my first New York apartment. Like I was just a bed dweller. Uh, and yeah. like it, it took me back. I was like, that is relatable right there. Um, one thing that she does that's um, not relatable for me, but I could see being relatable for someone else, uh, gets her daughters to do her dirty work for her. And make um, the kids do the chores. Right. Get them out. Make there. the kids do the chores and also like destroy Cinderella's dress. <laughs> like Lady Tremaine didn't go there and like take her little cane and like rip it open. She was just like, hey, isn't that your necklace, Drizella? And then she knew exactly what was gonna happen. She would she would be a great reality TV producer because reality TV producers don't script anything, but they always know exactly no. what's gonna happen somehow. Yep. Master manipulator. Um, I would say the one like huge thing with Lady Tremaine that makes her very not relatable is that she is very sharp tongued um, and she is very controlling. And those are two things that I am not. Um, I like I'm not a fighter at all. Like in any kind of intense situation, I just like be quiet and like <laughs> be like, what, like whatever you want. Like, uh, OK, yeah. we'll do it. You know, <laughs> so that that kind of like temper, I don't I don't relate to that personally. So let's talk about Namari. Namari's got a few really unique, cool things that make her relatable. The first one, she's introduced as this dragon nerd to be friends yeah. with Raya. And like, I'm not a dragon nerd, but I am someone who like gets lost in a fictional world of some kind. I am an INFP on the Myers-Briggs test. Um, yeah. And 
I, I think Namari might be too. Like when I played Pokemon when I was a little kid, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm just going to play some Pokemon. It's like, I need to play Pokemon eight hours a day. I need to memorize <laughs> the names of the Pokemon in the order they appear in the Pokedex. I need to know yeah. all of their types. I need to know exactly what moves they can learn and where to catch them. It was like I, I needed to be fully immersed like in that fictional world. And I'm still like that today. Like when I watch Game of Thrones, I had to take like five days between episodes so that I could like research everything they talked about in that episode. So I like knew all the facts. Like that's fun for me. And so yeah. uh, I, I deeply relate to Namari's like dragon fandom. Much like King Candy, she throws out some fun slang. Uh, for example, when she sees Raya for the first time, she's like, what's dripping Depla? That's some like... You must be hit. Yeah. You must be hit. Literally what I wrote now. She's, she's hip with it. She is a villain, but she's like born into this conflict that's not hers. And, sure. and while like I don't feel a part of any particular conflict in my life, I do feel the weight of like choices generations above me have made that like I have to deal with the consequences of. I'm not, yep. not quite as intense as like a broken kingdom and civil war, but like my parents caused the housing bubble or like something like that, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, I, so I get that. Um, Namari is strong and silent and confident. And those are all traits that I see in myself. Like I said, I'm not someone who's argumentative. I'm not loud. Um, if, if ever I'm in an intense situation, like I, I usually stay pretty quiet. I have a great relationship with my parents. I'm very like thankful and privileged to have that. Uh, Namari is always trying to seek approval from her mom, which is something a lot of humans uh, have to deal with on, on a regular basis. So I appreciate that kind of realistic quality to her character. And ultimately, Namari is a Disney villain who is redeemed, which is very rare yeah. where you see the villain like turn at the end of the movie. It's not one of those black and white classic Disney characters. And that's really what I like about her. And I mean, her redeemability might not make her relatable, but it does make her feel less evil and less living in that gray area. And it, and it makes me more inclined to be like, that's a relatable person. I definitely think for this matchup, she is more relatable over Lady Tremaine. Lady Tremaine has a hard job of being a stepmother. And not only a stepmother, <laughs> but the stepmother uh, widow. You know, she's, she's being put into a really intense situation where she has two not great daughters. She understands that. She recognizes that. She's trying to get them married, right? Get, get them out of my house. Uh, and she has to take on the, uh, the, the, the orphan, essentially, of her late husband, boyfriend. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what their relationship was, to be honest. Um, as any parental figure would do and any parental figure could probably relate to, she moves in, she assigns rooms, Girls get this. I get this. Cinderella, unfortunately, you're in the attic. We just ran out of space. Like, it's just she took that step of, of parental leadership and she had to get it done. And that's just what parents do. They make they call the shots, talked about the chores. Uh, she she has a couple of daughters that absolutely suck at singing and she'll never tell them. I think that's a really <laughs> relatable parent quality is like your kid absolutely sucks at whatever they're doing and they're never going to tell that kid that they suck at what they're doing. In fact, she makes them practice more, right? She's trying to improve them. Like, okay, okay, we, we, can, we can do this. We can do this. Uh, and it, the, she's like a, a mom. That's what moms do. You mentioned all the animals. You would have gotten rid of them. I think she did what most people would do and keep them and make sure that they're kept after what she does. 
and yeah, she she's she's playing the protective parent that's putting her kids above and be, uh, above and before everything else. And I think that can be relatable. Uh, however, I'm not a parent, so I <laughs> yep. couldn't I couldn't personally relate to that. Um, also, she like is just rude uh, to Cinderella. She's manipulative. There's there's a ton of not relatable things. Obviously, that's why she's a villain. Namari, you're right. I mean, you bring up fandom and you talk about Game of Thrones and and Pokemon. We have a Disney podcast, Chris. Like, is there <laughs> yeah. anything more yeah. investing in like wanting to know the entire scope of stuff other than like us talking about it <laughs> literally every week? When she brought up, uh, when I watched it, not only the first time but the second time. If anybody listened to the mini episode that I had to start it over halfway through, um, I was like, I can relate to having this like nerd out and then finding somebody that also loves this thing that I'm a nerd about and connecting with them. And that's what Namari does. And also like she thinks that she needs to protect everyone else, like her, her group. Like she, she thinks that her group has been wronged and she's rallying to right that wrong for her group. And I think that's extremely relatable to most people. And I think that like Namari has the leg up on a lot of these people because she comes in a time in which there is that civil divide, where there is that breaking of of um, social foundation, where we can all see a little bit of ourselves in her and in her actions and like even justify some of her actions. Like she thinks that this dragon orb is going to give her people the wealth back. That's like what she thinks. She sees what Raya's dealing with and living in. She lives in this big bountiful plentiful kingdom and she i think she makes a comment about her people have haven't eaten rice because rice isn't grown in fang and she she's never had it like it's the poverty versus wealth and she thinks in order to achieve that wealth or at least level the playing field they need what that wealth has and i think that's extremely relatable i just i think there's a lot to work with the way she went about it to not maybe do a little bit more research, take a little bit more opinions uh, is maybe not quite relatable and being so headstrong on like, I got to kill everybody that's in my way or I, I need to get this one thing to put my people above everybody else. Um, but I think that, you know, her her motive is there kind of like what you you all were talking about with King Candy. Um, so I'm going to agree with you. Number four is going to move on. Eric and Alyssa, do you guys agree? yeah 100 percent. yeah everything you guys said we spoke about as well um it just seemed I, I do agree with you it seems like uh the best relatable villains here are going to have a hard time with namari because i think she's rooted in her decisions are all rooted in relatable reasons um i also can relate to wanting a um fashion statement haircut like you want to make a <laughs> statement with your hair what is the um worst? you've ryan, ryan calls it <laughs> like she's princess got a... undercut or something at some point <laughs> that's yeah. relatable like don't we want to make statements with our hair folks and 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 in this world sh- that was a priority for throughout her trajectory um that there was a good a good hair do for her yeah yeah I love that take. That's fantastic. Yeah, I was thinking the whole time, too. I almost don't think she was a villain. Like, the only reason we think she's a villain is because of the way she is painted in Raya's mind. But, you know, Mm. it's not until 
I don't know, further along in the story where she redeems herself. And it's they're all fighting the same fight at the end of the day. I think they all want equality and they all want, you know, to do the best for the greater good. It's just that because the lens is told through Raya, I think that's why we think she is this evil person. But we don't really give her a chance. So I think that they're definitely making villains more human um, than, yeah, cut out like black and white. They're evil because they have sharp, angular faces and, <laughs> yeah. and styled in dark, dark wardrobes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of sharp, angular faces, <laughs> oh, let's talk about the number, the number five Yzma versus the number 12 Ursula. Uh, Ursula, the, the sea witch, it, she loves to live in an isolated place. I can relate. I get it. Uh, I live in a city. It's not quite New York City, but it's a city. And there are times where I'm like, I wish I lived away from that. <laughs> I wish I was not in that specific area. Now, her whole motive is that she wants to take the throne. She wants to get there. She's she's manipulating Ariel and tricking her into this contract in order to get rid of her so that she has a more equal or a more easy track to get to the throne because she's the most competent daughter and uh however her choice of living style and in space is great she only has two friends that's her crew like i said everybody gotta have a squad ursula has a squad they're two fairly competent people which is nice to see she's not upset at their incompetence because she's out here sending them on on missions and if you're a manager you can relate to delegation. <laughs> Ursula is fantastic at delegating. She gets these two to go out and do what they need to do. She's a fashion icon. I think a lot of people want to dress well. They want to dress fancy. She's got the pearls on. She's wearing the black dress. She she wants the crown. She's she's very fashion focused. I think people can really relate to that. Not necessarily me. I wear hoodies and jeans literally every single day. <laughs> Don't know what that fashion life is like. Hey, in like 2014, we all discovered a, a new phrase. That phrase is called the glow up. And uh, <laughs> Ursula has a glow up. And that's when she transforms herself into Vanessa. And I think that we can all look back on our Ursula phase and look onto our Vanessa phase and be like, <laughs> we can relate. Uh, unrelatable, she's a witch and can does, do magic. And she has a, a cave full of souls. And I don't, quite, <laughs> I don't quite have any of that, to be honest. Um, let's talk about Yzma. Yzma is another one that is highly relatable because she's surrounded by idiots. Even the hero is an idiot. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And that, in- that level of incompetence will drive anyone insane. Now it wouldn't drive me to the, to the brink of like wanting to kill off in order to take full control. Um, but I can understand why she feels the way she does. Like the king is an idiot. Like he's making dumb decisions. He's trying to build a water park on top of a hill and displace people. Like that that's not what the focus should be, right? And she can see that. Um, as an advisor, you probably don't want to kill off the person in charge. That's not a great move, but you can understand <laughs> that frustration. I don't understand how that transfer of power works. Like, like they're like, okay, our emperor is dead. Who's next on the list? It's the advisor, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I wish I could say that it's because Cusco couldn't find a wife. Like, remember at the beginning, they're trying to, like, 
find him a wife and then like they would have kids mm. and that would be the heir to the throne but he's too picky and and gross <laughs> i think that it's because if he were to die the next person in line would be the advisor because he doesn't have anybody else around him she's got a uh i i'm not i don't want to gender it but she's got a she shed she's got a, a underground basement where yeah. she goes to escape the madness of the world above her I think we can all relate to having a place that's a, removed from the world uh, to escape. And she has that. Now, it takes a little bit to get there. It's hidden. Uh, her incompetent worker can't get her there very well, pulls the wrong lever. Um, but she has her own space. She likes to host dinners, we see. Uh, have <laughs> Cusco down and they, and they, have, they prepare this meal, this social event that they can all sit down, break bread together can relate to that. I love having people over. I love having picnics. Like all of us, she's flawed. She lets her anger get the best of her a lot of the times. And most notably, uh, when she turns into a cat. And <laughs> he, like we all would, be mad if we turned into a cat. And she can't pick up the vial of potion that turns them back to human with her paws. And she gets frustrated and almost falls off the roof because of it. I Listen. When I can't complete a task that I is right in front of me, like I feel like I should be able to do, like read a bus line or figure out, you know, the the transportation system in a new city. It's right there in front of me. I just don't know how to quite navigate that. I'd be frustrated too. Not enough to fall off the roof, but I'd be frustrated. And this is a new situation for Yzma. She's now a cat with paws and she can't hold on to the <laughs> vial. I can relate to that frustration. So in this matchup, I think it's very obvious. I'm going to go with Yzma. I think that Ursula is a little bit... Her situation is a little different because she plays that kind of classic villain that has the henchmen. The henchmen do a lot of the work. She's magical, becomes big at one point, uh, can shift shapes and become Vanessa. Um I like the glow up, but I don't think it's quite the humanizing way that we see Yzma in which we're like, Yzma wants power, but the entire movie, we're like, damn, <laughs> this is a frustrating experience for Yzma because we know it would be frustrating for us to be running around with Kronk and not being able to accomplish any tasks. Number five moves on for me. So I want to bring up a couple of other things about Ursula. I mean, it seems like I'm really going for like the motive. Um, here a lot and and i'll go into it with ursula ursula hates the patriarchy um <laughs> and she is a lot of these disney movies the villain is like a social outcast and we'll talk about that with hades eventually too they're just like removed from the current power at b and ursula's mission is to just take it down really like her her yeah. end game is to like get triton's triton or whatever is what triton's trident yeah yeah. And um, I don't like King Triton either. We've seen him be kind of rude to his own daughter and, and be like not a great father. So you're kind of like, sure. well, maybe maybe this supposed like hero person in power is not great. Uh, maybe Ursula has a point when she thinks that it's time for some new management. Uh, you referred to Flotsam and Jetsam as like her squad. And I kind of read them more as like pets. And uh, she's really sad mm. when they die. She's like, my little poopsies. 
I'd be sad if my friends died. Well, yeah, I mean I would, that too. I'd call them. I'd call them my nicknames that I have for them. <laughs> sure. I, it wouldn't be like poopsie, but it would be like <laughs> socks. No. <laughs> I think you. I think you could apply both though to to Ursula. She, sure. She is someone who loves her friends and animals alike. But I am with you on Isma. You said a lot about Isma, and all of it's true. And I have even more to talk about with her. I mean, you could pick apart every scene, I feel like, and I can't wait to talk about her in full on the next episode. I'm going to send her on to the next round. Alyssa and Eric, do you agree? Yeah. Just want to say both of these are very strong women. Um, yeah. We have Isma, a woman in STEM, a chemist <laughs> on the side of being yeah. an advisor. Yes. And then we have Ursula, who's just like body positivity all around. Like she loves mm -hmm. her body, even though she can change it to Vanessa. She like and she can change her body at any time. She loves her curves um, and is, you know, doesn't want to change them. And she is also a great businesswoman. Um, so just great role models if you can if you can look at them that way. She has yeah. uh, some legal background, I think, too. She's very into contracts. <laughs> yes. We yeah, she understands about the contracts. Yeah. Um, one thing I forgot with Ursula, she, she did lose her head on the Ariel's <laughs> undersea adventure attraction at California adventure. And like, whenever we talk about Ursula, we always have to bring that up because it's canon at this point. Like the fact that her head it is. did come off. And I mean, who hasn't felt like that before? Like you're still singing the song, <laughs> but your head is at your kneecaps. Oh man. So let's hop over to the other side where we have number two, Hades. Versus number 15, Gaston. Okay, it's time. I have to go <laughs> to bat for my man's Gaston. Um, <laughs> Kyle Madsen really kind of like drew a line in the sand when he tweeted about Gaston needing to be canceled. And I was like, oh man, like I either need to like do some serious rethinking in my own life and like my affiliation <laughs> with this character, or I need to like. I don't know, like go to bat for him, like publicly. I don't know what to do. <laughs> so, um, so, so I'll break it down. I, I'm going to do pretty much neither of those things, <laughs> like on this episode of Mouse Madness. But, but I want to break it down to see just how relatable he is and like why, like why do I like this guy so much? So, um, the first one is is the fitness for sure. Like hands down, like that is the thing. <laughs> That, like when I think of Gaston, I think of the fitness. I am someone who really values an active life lifestyle, an outdoors lifestyle, particularly like getting in the gym and working with weights. Like that is something that has brought a lot of joy and healing to my life. So I love it. I I really really relate to those like broy aspects of Gaston, where he has <laughs> biceps to spare. Like that's like that's that's who I want to be for the rest of my life is biceps to spare. <laughs> um, he has a high protein diet. He talks about how he eats four dozen eggs when he's a child and he's a five dozen eggs <laughs> in adulthood. Environmentally speaking, that's probably not great for global warming. Um, also like not great for your cholesterol either. Um, I tried high protein diet, uh, for a while and my fart smelled like noxious gases like i was like this is my body telling me i'm not supposed to do this like this is so bad um gaston is a turnt boy of sorts we do he see him chug a yep. beer which, come on we can we all we chug beer in this podcast. um gaston is interesting in that he is really not a social outcast he really is someone who has the people on his side and our hero is the one who is a social outcast. 
So um, to see him with so many friends, we see people singing a song about him. Like there aren't people out here singing songs about me, but like I value my friendships a lot. Like they bring me a lot of strength. Uh, and so yeah. I appreciate that about Gaston as well. He is a man of the people. He puts himself out there in public. Gaston loves interior design. He uses antlers <laughs> in his decorating, according to the All song. Uh, we'll use the interior design language that is rustic design, which is the design <laughs> aesthetic I love the most as well. Like I love <laughs> a nice like fur throw. I love some like nice like wood on my furniture. Yeah. Um, I, I don't yeah. use antlers, but like I have thought about it. Like I have thought <laughs> about some like um, fake, of course, like moose antlers hanging above my mantle or something like that. Sure. Then there's the downside, which is like quite a big downside. Uh, <laughs> number one being he loves shooting animals like <laughs> Clayton, which I don't really vibe with. Also, uh, very toxic ideas about gender and gender roles. And basically his whole goal in the movie is to imprison a woman. Like that's yeah. his, that's his whole thing. So not great for Gaston when it comes to like the big picture. And, and when I try to look for like, what's the motive for these like evil actions, there is none other than he's extremely egotistical. And I cannot relate to that. Like I can for a lot of these villains that we've talked about so far, you can, you might not agree with their methods and, and like what comes of them, but you, you have had some of the same hurt that they've had that have caused them to do this. Yep. Hades. The thing about Hades is he has a very similar, like terrible, awful thing that he does in the movie. He is currently keeping a woman prisoner and that woman yes. is Meg. Yes. So seeing these two go up against each other, like that's kind of a coincidence. Hades and Grumpy from the Seven Dwarves are like the Disney dad characters. <laughs> that like every Disney dad merch has one of those two characters on it. You're right. And, yeah, wow. And, and I think it's because of just how short of a temper Hades has. He clearly, <laughs> like we see his hair turn from blue to red. He is very easily agitated and he loses his temper a lot. I would say potentially even more than the Queen of Hearts. He loses it. Um, so like, why, like, why is he this way? Well, he's surrounded by two very ineffective sidekicks in pain and panic, yep. which like I get being impatient around other people, but generally, like I said, with queen of hearts, I'm someone who kind of likes to like forgive and give someone room to fail instead of just like get mad at people. Hades, um, he doesn't understand the hype. He's like not a hype beast, uh, <laughs> pain or panic. One of them's wearing Air Herc shoes and he's like, what are those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does not like the hype, which I can't decide like if I am a hype beast because I'm a hype beast for some things. <laughs> like, it, like I ordered you're, a new iPad like immediately when it was available. <laughs> yeah, you're, you, you sway a little bit. You, you've claimed on this podcast that you're not about the hype. You actually hate the hype. Um, but there's some things that you're willing to give into the hype for. Yeah, I mean, web maybe I just hate myself. Hands. I don't know. Yeah, web slinger <laughs> hands, sure. Uh, but then, like on the other hand, like I'm like light magic. Come on, let's go. Sure. So some other things that like make Hades tick. No one seems to appreciate his job. He has this very important job to shepherd souls to the afterlife, and like Mount Olympus is out here like throwing a day rage, and yeah. Hades is like 
yo, like I'm working right now. Stop it. It's like when I'm working in baseball and people are sending me emails, like, hope you had a great weekend. I'm like, what guess weekend? what? <laughs> I didn't have one of those. <laughs> or like, you know, people would just be like not reading emails after hours or whatever. I'm like, right. great. Must be, must be nice guys. Seriously. Hades bosses are kind of rude. The fates um, who, who like trim the souls or whatever, they don't really treat Hades very well. So he's kind of like upper management and he's caught in between like really incompetent people below him who can't help him execute. And then people above him who have like really unfair expectations of him. Hades was dealt um, a bad hand in life, like by being that kind of like other that he just like can't break into the, into the squad. And that's not his fault, but he is really, really bitter about it. And and you can tell that he acts like he doesn't want to be there, but like I kind of think he does want to be there. Um, I love Gaston. I love all of those like smaller details that make him uh, fun for me as kind of a broy white guy. <laughs> um, but I think that Hades has kind of more of like a range of things that are relatable. And also his like motives are more relatable. So like I hate to leave Gaston in the first <laughs> round of any bracket, but for this one, like I'm feeling kind of okay about it. Yeah, it's Hades for me as well. And I have a ton to say oh, about Hades. Baby. Like a lot to say about Hades uh, in the next round, but I'm gonna save it for it because I think it deserves uh, a full discussion about Hades' character. Uh, Eric Alyssa, I'm sure you're happy to see that your number one here, Hades, is moving on. Yeah, um, Chris brought up the moment I was going to pick out, which was the, you know, this is this idea that Hades thinks he kills Hercules, right? As a child, yeah. he had pain and pain and go kill him. And then cut to his boys are there, right? The, the, his boys that he thought had killed Hercules. He, he, he yeah. has no idea about this kid who's like this demigod. And his boys are wearing Herc's <laughs> chocolates. <laughs> they, they show up to the party with Hercules' chocolates. And that's a nemesis. Oh, I'd, yeah. be, I'd be pissed. And that, that moment, yeah. that moment where he's just like, what are those? It just, yeah. I, it's, it's iconic. And, and then, uh, panic is sipping out of a, a, a 7-Eleven oh Slurpee God. with Herc on the side of it on the other. Oh my God. He's like <laughs> thirsty. <laughs> it's all good. If, if this movie was made in 2021, it would be a Hercules souvenir popcorn bucket. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, let's talk about this next matchup. It's number seven, Captain Hook versus number 10, Jafar. You know, Jafar is somebody that likes to avoid risk. He understands the situation at hand. And I'm talking about the Cave of Wonders. He knows that he's not worthy. <laughs> he's been told he's not worthy. Uh, but there's something in there that he wants. And so he's going to find somebody that is worthy to go snag it for him. He's out here task rabbiting. Uh, uh, <laughs> somebody to go get this lamp for him right like listen i can't hang out a tv in my house i'm i'm not handy i i have no tools i couldn't put a free hanging tv onto my wall but you know who can someone on the app task rabbit and jafar is the same he's like listen <laughs> i'm not worthy of going into the cave of wonders i know that because the giant cat head told me <laughs> uh, so I need to find somebody who is and so he just hangs out at the market and finds people and tries to get them to go in and when they do and they fail he's like ah well I guess that one's not getting a tip on TaskRabbit I better go find another one uh, to hang this TV 
I relate. If I can't do it, I'm going to find people who can. Uh, he has a pet. I have a pet. <laughs> I talk to my pet. He talks to his. His talks yeah. back. Mine does too, but he can understand it. Uh, he's he's a man of gadgets and gizmos. You, We see that like, uh, I guess it's like a future seeing portal. I don't quite remember because Chris and I have established that we do not like this movie. So I can't I'm say okay that I watched it for this Aladdin bracket. Again, yeah. But they, they, he makes Iago run on a hamster wheel and it like reveals this portal <laughs> man of gadget and gizmos i got i got them too i got a lot of them um and he's just trying to make his way to the top right he he's trying to get that sultanship he's he's working the system he's finding loopholes he's figuring it out his loophole is unfortunately marrying jasmine which is not that's that's not the loophole you want to find or <laughs> or say that's the way to to get success is to trick somebody into marrying you but he he's figuring out the system, and uh, you can appreciate somebody that says, "You know what? The system is broken. I'm going to prove it to you by breaking it." Uh, he does it. Things that are not relatable. He like tries to kill Aladdin. Whatever, <laughs> <laughs> tried to kill somebody. Um, he becomes a genie at the end. I've never done that. So there's some obvious ways, and he's not relatable. But I think that his like mindset and the way that he goes about things is relatable. Step against Captain Hook. And Eric, you surprised me when you said that Captain Hook should be the number one seed because I was trying to figure out what things I could say about him that are like convincingly relatable for him to be the, the top seed in this matchup. What I could pull out, I'm also very afraid of crocodiles. And I think that if I uh, had this traumatic event and it involved all of my senses, including sound. And then I kept hearing that sound, even if I wasn't hearing that sound, which for Captain Hook was the clicking of a clock uh, that the, the crocodile ate. That's, that's a triggering event. Like if I heard that too, I would be flashed straight back to that traumatic moment in which I literally lost a hand <laughs> uh, and that changes my life completely, right? So I understand why he's afraid i would be afraid too he hates kids same <laughs> uh, he works with a fairly incompetent crew uh and we see that all over he gets very frustrated because his crew can't quite do a lot he like i think at the beginning of the movie kills off one of the crew members like shoots them because they're not doing things correctly let's say he fired him right <laughs> if you're not doing your job you fired your your employee that's essentially what he did in pirate language he just got rid of that crew member because he wasn't doing his job he's another strategic thinker and i i like to think that i think in in strategy and i think uh logically and that's what he does uh the only thing that he does it with though is he manipulates tinkerbell into revealing where peter pan's hideout is and so he connects a lot of dots he pulls a lot of context he understands that like oh tink's mad at Peter because Peter's with Wendy but so she's really mad at Wendy so maybe I can figure out where they're hiding at by digging into that a little bit awful but when you're playing the game you gotta rely on context and strategy and I, I think that's a little relatable especially when we work in social media right everything has to do, <laughs> do with context everything has to do with data uh, and so I can relate to the the process I guess maybe not the uh the the way about that he did things that i can't relate killing kids kidnapping and bombing <laughs> i've never done any of those uh, as much as i hate kids i would never kill them uh so 
yeah, uh, that's Captain Hook. In this matchup, uh, I'm probably... Mm, mm, it's tough because they're both not great people. They both kill. They both want to kill to get something in return. Um, I think that... And I, I think... Oh, my God. I think I'm going to rely on my argument of... Um, understanding who you are and and knowing when to reach out to others to get what you want and that's Jafar and so I'm gonna go with the 10-7 upset of just understanding who you are as a human and that you can't do everything so you need some help and I appreciate that number 10 moves on I have a couple of things I disagree with one of them being that you hate kids because not to like put you on blast here but I've seen you like in a hula skirt teaching 10 second graders how to twirl ribbons while listening to Miley Cyrus. <laughs> it was also a situation that I did for money. I would not do that <laughs> in my spare time. I was gotcha, paid to do gotcha. that. I, I forgot you were getting paid $4 an hour to do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and <laughs> eating some cafeteria food every day, dude. I was living the life. Um, I, I, I kind of agree with the crocodile stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> particularly that I find it interesting that the movie kind of like frames Captain Hook's fear of crocodiles as like his flaw or like something yeah. that's a bit silly. And I'm like, dude, are you are you trying to say like we shouldn't be scared of crocodiles? <laughs> or like, because <laughs> if I saw a crocodile on the side of a boat, I would definitely also be scared of being eaten. <laughs> that seems logical and like relatable to me. <laughs> um, Captain Hook loves the arts like he plays the piano that's right, that's like we right. see that um, there is a bottle of rum nearby as well yeah so relate. so like just the way that it seems like he spends his free time um, doing that I agree with it also does though seem like he spends a lot of time like plotting and planning and just like being <laughs> obsessed with like foiling Peter Pan which like I don't spend my time plotting and planning but i do spend a lot of my alone time like reflecting and like thinking about <laughs> the things like that are happening in my life and like how i might be able to fix them or like what i should do next like personal reflection is like one of the most important things i believe like a person can do just like take some quiet time alone and like think think your thoughts i think if i had literal peter pan in my life i might be like this too because i hate peter pan <laughs> as a person and like we talked about this on our that's sidekicks right, that's right when yeah. we were talking about tinkerbell and i was like it seems like tinkerbell kind of hates peter pan also and like i really <laughs> to these characters that hate peter pan because he does suck yeah um jafar love the task rabbit um, bit. I, I thought for a second that you forgot to tell me we got a TaskRabbit sponsorship and I thought you were going to do like a boom goes the dynamite. I like, and, 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 and that's so why this episode and, is brought to you by TaskRabbit. Go ahead and use code ICONIC at checkout for 20% off <laughs> your first TaskRabbit. Yeah. yeah, ICONIC20. Hey, TaskRabbit, we're not not open to that. So hit us up. <laughs> um, Jafar is is definitely a suck up like when he's on the clock um and sure. like he definitely talks about the sultan like when he's off the clock oh yeah which I'm not really someone who likes to like workplace gossip and I don't think I'm a suck up but like I have 
been like, oh, I definitely don't want to do this thing or that thing. And then when it comes time to it, I'm like, yes, yep, I'll do it. Here's the, like, Captain Hook just kind of wants to foil Peter Pan. Jafar wants to take over this kingdom. And like, he never explicitly says like what he wants to do after he takes over. I can imagine it's probably some pretty bad stuff. Um, just the way that Captain Hook seems to be a little bit less like um harmful. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Captain Hook. <laughs> bombs children. All right. You know what? I mean <laughs> We're we're going to you. You're the tiebreaker. Okay. There's context to why Captain Co- Captain Hook was raised as a pirate. He was always destined huh. to be a pirate. So his actions are relative to what he knows about his world. So yeah, he's a pillager. Yeah. He's a pirate who pillages. And my my biggest argument Chris already said, which is can I curse on this podcast? Yeah, sure. I'm going to believe it, but don't get it. Okay. Peter Pan's a big I fucking hate him, and he cut off Captain Hook's arm, and then his whole life is revolved around this kid who was mischievous. Cut my fucking arm off, and I've got to run around the world with this fucking alligator chasing me. Around the world, the alligators like going across every ocean, just following this ship. Like the first saltwater, like cross ocean right. oceanic crocodile you've ever seen. I think that that's there's something so like Peter Pan the alligator. I'm I'm stressed. Yeah, I relate a lot to. We can tell, (laughs) and I think that's why um, I will send Captain Hook onto the next round. Also, Peter Pan cuts off his arm like as a joke, like for funsies, and it's like deeply traumatized Captain Hook. So I think that's very relatable. Also. We see Jafar, like, when he's given power, he just wants to be an evil, magical sorcerer. And, you know, I wouldn't do that if I had three wishes. TBH. Sure. (laughs) All right. Let's move on to the next matchup. It's number three, Maleficent versus number 14, PJ, Prince John. So Maleficent, like, maybe has some of the most innocent, like, motives of all. She just got mad FOMO. (laughs) She didn't get get invited to a party. And so she's like, you know what? (laughs) <laughs> they're Cursed. gonna learn not to invite me Cursed. to the next Curse. <laughs> curses on you curses on your cow <laughs> um so yeah like she took it like a little bit too far like i don't think i would go that far but like i do agree that like not getting invited to a party sucks like that that hurts your feelings you yeah. know come on yeah Maleficent has a ride-or-die best friend, a lot like King Candy's Sour Bill. Maleficent has Diablo the Raven, who we talked extensively about in the best villainous minion bracket. Yep. Uh, he's always there for her. Um, his origin as like a sidekick were explored a little bit in live action Maleficent, and it was like very bizarre and wasn't here for it at all. Like I prefer it just being like they, they were like in they were in a scary forest one day and we're just like, what's up? What's up? You wanna be friends? Let's be friends. Like that's it. <laughs> Maleficent is maybe one of the most aggressive on this bracket, or like in all of Disney villaindom that is like annoyed by fools yes and, and she she sa- surrounds herself with these like total like worthless ineffective minions 
I think they're literally called grunts. Like that's their like official character name. Um, and she's always calling them fools. And it's like, dude, like you are the one who like hired all these just random minions. Maleficent hates Filthy Phil, which like we we also hate Filthy Phil. Yep. <laughs> so yep, yep, um, yep. The fact that like she is going head to head with him, you know what? I feel it. <laughs> um, Prince John. He, I would say, is like one of the least evil on this bracket. Like the, like yes, he's trying to like take too much control of his kingdom, and he like falsely imprisons people and stuff like that. He isn't out here like threatening to kill people though. At least not yet. Right. And at least that I can remember. Like maybe we can have a Robin Hood expert on here, but it seemed like he was just like very juvenile, um, and just kind of like immature about everything. And just unfit to like be in power. Prince John loves money. He makes money moves. He makes money. He, got, he wants some bands to make a dance. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, you know, like I'm not someone who's particularly money obsessed or like money focused, money driven. Um, I, I I would love to like live comfortably, but I'm not out here trying to like have stacks on deck, patron on ice, <laughs> pop bottles all night. You know that yes. kind of stuff. You wouldn't like to have whatever you like? I, I would not. I don't need to. And Prince John, the, like the big thing for me that makes him super relatable is that clearly there are some like unhealthy family dynamics going on. Like his older brother is like the favorite child and um, he like has been overlooked and he's overcompensating for that. And that is a wound that that I don't have, but like I can understand. As like someone who has a successful over older brother, like I don't. I don't feel like my parents love any child more than the next, but like I could see how there could be some comparisons that could make you feel inadequate and feel like you have to go the extra mile to prove yourself. So I totally get that. At the end of the day, um, I think I'm going to go with Prince John for that very reason. I think, I think he's a um, very subtle Disney villain, and I think that's what I like about him. I'm going to go with Maleficent. <laughs> I would absolutely Hi. take revenge on a baby. <laughs> uh, if I was not invited to a party, everyone at that party is not going to be invited to any parties anytime soon. So I get, <laughs> I get why she's upset. Like I, that's one of the most understandable motives in this entire bracket is being left out and feeling angry about it. Now I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't if I had. I mean, I don't have powers, so I wouldn't like hurt people because I was not invited to this party. But there's going to be some sort of revenge aspect, I think, even if it's subconsciously. Like, I would then, therefore, not think of them when I'm putting them on a guest list, you know? She just took what that is to me and did it for herself, which is to curse the entire kingdom and whatever. So, uh, I, I get it. The Raven's her bestie. It's also a pet. Love that for her. Uh, and she, <laughs> that pet is loyal. And I would hope that I had a pet that was loyal to me as well. My cat's not quite as loyal as that Raven. I don't relate really anything. Uh, there's not a whole lot relatable about Prince John for me. He likes to complain even though he's in a place of power. And I would always hope that that's not me. Like that's that's my biggest fear is that I would get too big and then complain about all the things that I have when literally people have to rob from me in order to keep others out of poverty. Uh, he, you know, there's just not a whole lot likable and therefore not relatable for me. I get where Maleficent got hurt and I'd be hurt the same way. 
I'm going number three. Eric and Alyssa, you two are breaking this tie. Yeah. Uh, after hearing that argument, I will have to choose Maleficent because honestly, yeah, Prince John, he's got mommy issues. He's got sibling issues, but he's also got a pile of money he sleeps with and he's increasing taxes for a kingdom that can no longer afford it. And if you have all that money and you're still unhappy, like that's on you, bro. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about our last round of 16 matchup. It is number six, Shere Khan versus number 11, Dr. Facilier. Uh, Shere Khan, you know, what's interesting about this tiger is that in the animated Jungle Book, we don't get a ton out of him. I think he shows up like halfway through. But in the, the CGI live action movie, that's a very focused point of the movie of Shere Khan. And that's closer to what the book is, is this like, Mowgli introduction and how the rest of the jungle has to react and deal with Mowgli moving forward. Uh, so I really like the storytelling in the newer version more so than the old one. And I there's a ton of reason why the old one is the way it is. Anyways, that doesn't matter. Shere Khan in the animated one is justified in like not wanting to mess with Mowgli and actually wanting Mowgli out because... Humans suck and they're scary. And if you're an animal, <laughs> you understand that. And that's what the angle was of Shere Khan here was that like, listen, humans are dangerous and they have this red thing called fire and we should be very afraid of them. And, you know, if we're raising one, what do, what makes you think that they're not going to turn on me? So, yeah, you don't get a ton other than like Shere Khan trying to hunt down Mowgli the entire time and then at the end uh, he loses a fight against Baloo who is definitely not a fighter and he falls into the fire and his tail's on fire and he runs away embarrassed. I would run away embarrassed too if I lost a fight to be honest. <laughs> I would hope I'd never found myself in a fight but I can understand why like if my butt's on fire or if I just got my butt beat I gotta get out of there. I can't take the humiliation. So I understand that. He's up against Dr. Facilier. Dr. Facilier, uh, he's a hustler. He's just trying to survive. He's out here trying to trying to make ends meet because he works for other people, essentially. Uh, and yeah. so he has this job to do to, you know, stay alive. Uh, he loves a good song and dance. He's, he, he's another fashion boy. We love a fashion boy. <laughs> I'm not one of them, but I think a lot can relate to him. Uh, he's He turns out, you know, as close to death as he is, he's not. He's not too fond of it. He's a little afraid of dying. And we see that at the very end uh, where he definitely does not want to meet his friends on the other side. Speaking of friends on the other side, homie's got a crew. And we all have that friend group that might be a little shady, right? We all have that friend group that's like, yeah, well, like I run with them, but I don't run with them. Like if, if push came to shove, like I got some homies on my side, but. I don't quite run. I, I relate heavily with his him having friends on the other side that he's also a little afraid of. Um, he is a great negotiator. Uh, he he knows how to get what he needs and, and work with people to get that. I, I can't say that I'm necessarily a good negotiator because I know that I'm not. But I know that's a quality that people have and want to have. He's afraid of bugs. And I'm not a <laughs> fan of bugs either. And we see that when he absolutely squashes Ray at the end of this film. 
So I think that just because like I can't quite relate to Shere Khan in basically any form or fashion, uh, even if there's an outsider coming in and you take that perspective, or even if I take the form of an animal or the perspective of an animal, I can I can see why, but I don't relate because I've never been an animal. While Dr. Facilier, like I think I can relate to the hustle and just like trying to make ends meet uh, and be on the good favor of his employers, essentially. I think that we've all been there. We can relate to that. Uh, so I'm definitely going to go with Dr. Facilier moving on in the Elite Eight. Yeah, Kyle, your take on like not trusting humans is interesting because I what I wrote down was he he wants people to fit into traditional animal kingdom roles, which mm. like I yeah. don't think is super like progressive or healthy. But, like I understand <laughs> like I understand that take too though, you know? Like Yeah. What reason should any animal ever have to like trust a human in that way? So I get it. Um, yeah, Shere Khan is a hungry boy. Um, I'm, I'm hungry a lot too, <laughs> but yeah, I like, I like the word you used for Dr. Vasilier. He is a hustler. He is grinding. He's trying to make that money. Um, I get that very, very strongly. Is Dr. Vasilier in some type of debt to his friends on the other side? Yes, he he like made a deal with them and he needs to continue to work for them and capture these like make these deals that are a net positive. So like he gets a guy to pay him to give him hair. He's a bald guy. And then that guy just has hair everywhere. Like he's very sneaky about his terms and deals. And I think it's because his friends on the other side also want like wealth and control and they're using him as their vessel. He's the the connected one. I don't remember, and we can bring it up. Somebody can email us, or we can look into it and bring it up uh, if we talk about him next time. But yeah, I, I think he he definitely would have a debt to them. Um, I mean, being in debt. Come on, it's related. <laughs> so all that to <laughs> like say, be, uh, yeah, like debt. be being in like overwhelming amounts of debt and like needing to do drastic things to get yourself out of it. Um, yeah. very human, very relatable attribute. Um. He's a very theatrical guy, which I am as well. Like if I can make something uh, goofy or like make it some type of show, like I absolutely will. Me and my two best friends, we make predictions at the beginning of every baseball season. There's nothing on the line. It's just like we get on a phone call for like an hour and we do this like, all right, so... NL Rookie of the Year. So this guy, you know, he's, and it's like a whole like extra dramatic, like fake ceremony. Um, I love the theatrics. He's a gamer. Like he loves playing cards. Like that's his whole thing. Yeah. And I don't know about y'all, but like I am not much of a like shot ripper just for the sake of ripping shots. Like I will turn everything into a game. Like we've got a deck of cards. We're going to ride the bus right now. Like yeah. we're going to play F the dealer. We're going to play sevens, elevens, doubles. We're going to play some beer punk, some snapper. Like it's always a game for yeah. me. Always. And I like that about Dr. Facilier. Um, I mean, I love Gaston being like a, a physically fit specimen, but let's be real. We all got a little <laughs> Dr. Facilier in us. We got a little tummy sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, that's okay. It's, it's super realistic and super relatable. He's got that, that little tummy coming out the bottom of his, uh, his little New Orleans voodoo outfit. I yeah. like that. 
I mean, I agree. It's Dr. Facilier. I mean, I'm surprised you brought up the sketchy friends thing. I mean, I was actually going to say it too, because like <laughs> that's super real. Um, None of my sketchy friends listen to my Disney podcast. I think I'm okay <laughs> to talk about it's, uh, I thought Shere Khan was going to be a pretty easy one to knock off, but I think Dr. Facilier actually is a really strong entry on this bracket on his own. So I'm yeah. excited to talk about him next week. Uh, listen, Eric, do you agree with that one? Yeah, we agree. I also want to add that I too like tarot cards, so I can relate to that as well. So there you go. Dr. Facilier. All right. So next week, we're going to be talking about the Elite Eight through the winner of this most relatable Disney villain bracket. And to start off, it's going to be the number 16 Queen of Hearts versus the number nine King Candy slash Turbo. Down the brackets, number four Namari versus number five Yzma. Across the brackets, number two, Hades versus number 10, Jafar. And to round out the Elite Eight, it's number three, Maleficent versus number 11, Dr. Facilier. We have more to talk about, believe it or not, next week about all of these characters. And we are going to crown one with the help of Eric and Alyssa. Eric and Alyssa, thank you so much for joining us for this episode one. We look forward to seeing you back in part two. Thanks for having us. That was a blast. Thanks for having us back again. Next time, we'll bring the analytics. Hey, oh, can't <laughs> wait. Can't wait for the data in part two. All right, everybody. Well, you know how to reach us. If you got something to say about these relatable villains, is there something like we missed some relatable aspect to any of these villains? Like, please shout it out. Did we get something totally wrong? Is it super not relatable? We would love to hear from you on this topic. Email us at mousemadispodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Discord. All of those channels are linked into the description of this podcast. We'd love to interact with you. We will see you next week. My babies. My poor little poopsies. Like me.